Question 19, Part 2 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima Segunda, On the Last End and on Human Acts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fred Abood. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima Segunda, On the Last End and on Human Acts, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 19. Of the goodness and malice of the interior act of the will. Part 2. Sixth Article. Whether the will is good when it abides by erring reason. Objection 1. It would seem that the will is good when it abides by erring reason. For just as the will, when at variance with the reason, tends to that which reason judges to be evil, so, when in accord with reason, it tends to what reason judges to be good. But the will is evil when it is at variance with reason, even when erring. Therefore, even when it abides by erring reason, the will is good. Objection 2. Further, the will is always good when it abides by the commandment of God and the eternal law. But the eternal law and God's commandment are proposed to us by the apprehension of the reason, even when it errs. Therefore, the will is good even when it abides by erring reason. Objection 3. Further, the will is evil when it is at variance with erring reason. If, therefore, the will is evil also when it abides by erring reason, it seems that the will is always evil when in conjunction with erring reason, so that in such a case a man would be in a dilemma, and of necessity would sin, which is unreasonable. Therefore, the will is good when it abides by erring reason. On the contrary, the will of those who slew the apostles was evil, and yet it was in accord with the erring reason, according to John 16, verse 2. The hour cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doth a service to God. Therefore, the will can be evil when it abides by erring reason. I answer that. Whereas the previous question is the same as inquiring whether an erring conscience binds, so this question is the same as inquiring whether an erring conscience excuses. Now this question depends on what has been said above about ignorance. For it was said, question 6, article 8, that ignorance sometimes causes an act to be involuntary, and sometimes not. And since moral good and evil consist in action insofar as it is voluntary, as was stated above, Article 2, it is evident that when ignorance causes an act to be involuntary, it takes away the character of moral good and evil, but not when it does not cause the act to be involuntary. Again, it has been stated above, Question 6, Article 8 
that when ignorance is in any way willed, either directly or indirectly, it does not cause the act to be involuntary. And I call that ignorance directly voluntary, to which the act of the will tends, and that indirectly voluntary, which is due to negligence, by reason of a man not wishing to know what he ought to know, as stated above. Question 6, Article 8. If then reason or conscience err with an error that is voluntary, either directly or through negligence, so that one errors about what one ought to know, then such an error of reason or conscience does not excuse the will that abides by that erring reason or conscience from being evil. But if the error arises from ignorance of some circumstance and without any negligence, so that it caused the act to be involuntary, then that error of reason or conscience excuses the will that abides by that erring reason from being evil. For instance, if erring reason tell a man that he should go to another man's wife, the will that abides by that erring reason is evil, since this error arises from ignorance of the divine law, which he is bound to know. But if a man's reason errs in mistaking another for his wife, and if he wished to give her her right when she asks for it, his will is excused from being evil, because this error arises from ignorance of a circumstance, which ignorance excuses, and causes the act to be involuntary. Reply Objection 1 As Dionysus says, Divine Names 4, Good results from the entire cause, evil from each particular defect. Consequently, in order that the thing to which the will tends to be called evil, it suffices, either that it be evil in itself, or that it be apprehended as evil. But in order for it to be good, it must be good in both ways. Reply Objection 2 The eternal law cannot error, but human reason can. Consequently, the will that abides by human reason is not always right, nor is it always in accord with the eternal law. Reply Objection 3 Just as in syllogistic arguments, granted one absurdity, others must needs follow, so in moral matters, given one absurdity, others must follow too. Thus suppose a man to seek vainglory, he will sin. Whether he does his duty for vainglory, or whether he omit to do it. Nor is he in a dilemma about the matter, because he can put aside his evil intention. In like manner, suppose a man's reason or conscience to err through inexcusable ignorance. Then evil must needs result in the will. Nor is this man in a dilemma, because he can lay aside his error, since his ignorance is vincible and voluntary. Seventh article. Whether the goodness of the will, as regards the means, depends on the intention of the end. Objection 1. It would seem that the goodness of the will does not depend on the intention of the end. For it has been stated above, Article 2, 
that the goodness of the will depends on the object alone. But as regards the means, the object of the will is one thing, and the end intended is another. Therefore, in such matters, the goodness of the will does not depend on the intention of the end. Objection 2. Further, to wish to keep God's commandment belongs to a good will. But this can be referred to an evil end, for instance, to vainglory or covetedness, by willing to obey God for the sake of temporal gain. Therefore, the goodness of the will does not depend on the intention of the end. Objection 3. Further, just as good and evil diversify the will, so do they diversify the end. But malice of the will does not depend on the malice of the end intended, since a man who wills to steal in order to give alms has an evil will, although he intends a good end. Therefore, neither does the goodness of the will depend on the goodness of the end intended. On the contrary, Augustine says, Confessions 9.3, that God rewards the intention, but God rewards a thing because it is good. Therefore, the goodness of the will depends on the intention of the end. I answer that. The intention may stand in a twofold relation to the act of the will, first, as preceding it, secondly, as following it. The intention precedes the act of the will casually when we will something because we intend a certain end. And then the order to the end is considered as the reason of the goodness of the thing willed. For instance, when a man wills to fast for God's sake, because the act of fasting is specifically good from the very fact that it is done for God's sake. Wherefore, since the goodness of the will depends on the goodness of the thing willed, as stated above, Articles 1 and 2, it must, of necessity, depend on the intention of the end. On the other hand, intention follows the act of the will when it is added to a preceding act of the will. For instance, a man may will to do something and may afterwards refer it to God. And then the goodness of the previous act of the will does not depend on the subsequent intention, except insofar as that act is repeated with the subsequent intention. Reply Objection 1 When the intention is the cause of the act of willing, the order to the end is considered as the reason of the goodness of the object, as stated above. Reply Objection 2 The act of the will cannot be said to be good if an evil intention is the cause of willing. For when a man wills to give an alms for the sake of vainglory, he wills that which is good in itself under a species of evil, and therefore, as willed by him, it is evil. Wherefore, his will is evil. If, however, the intention is subsequent to the act of the will, then the latter may be good, and the intention does not spoil that act of the will which preceded 
but that which is repeated. Reply Objection 3. As we have already stated, Article 6, Odd 1, evil results from each particular defect, but good from the whole and entire cause. Hence, whether the will tend to what is evil in itself, even under the species of good, or to the good under the species of evil, it will be evil in either case. But in order for the will to be good, it must tend to the good under the species of good. In other words, it must will the good for the sake of the good. Eighth article. Whether the degree of goodness or malice in the will depends on the degree of good or evil in the intention. Objection 1. It would seem that the degree of goodness in the will depends on the degree of good in the intention, because on Matthew 12, verse 35, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. A gloss says, A man does as much good as he intends. But the intention gives goodness not only to the external action, but also to the act of the will, as stated above, Article 7. Therefore, the goodness of a man's will is according to the goodness of his intention. Objection 2. Further, if you add to the cause, you add to the effect. But the goodness of the intention is the cause of the good will. Therefore, a man's will is good according as his intention is good. Objection 3. Further, in evil actions, a man sins in proportion to his intention. For if a man were to throw a stone with a murderous intention, he would be guilty of murder. Therefore, for the same reason, in good actions, the will is good in proportion to the good intended. On the contrary, the intention can be good while the will is evil. Therefore, for the same reason, the intention can be better, and the will less good. I answer that. In regard to both the act and the intention of the end, we may consider a twofold quantity. One, on the part of the object, by reason of a man willing or doing a good that is greater. The other, taken from the intensity of the act, according as a man wills or acts intensely, and this is more on the part of the agent. If then we speak of these respective quantities from the point of view of the object, it is evident that the quantity in the act does not depend on the quantity in the intention. With regard to the external act, this may happen in two ways. First, through the object that is ordained to the intended end not being proportionate to that end. For instance, if a man were to give ten pounds, he could not realize his intention if he intended to buy a thing worth a hundred pounds. Secondly, on account of the obstacles that may supervene in regard to the exterior action, which obstacles we are unable to remove. For instance, a man intends to go to Rome and encounters obstacles which prevent him from going. 
On the other hand, with regard to the interior act of the will, this happens in only one way, because the interior acts of the will are in our power, whereas the external actions are not. But the will can will an object that is not proportionate to the intended end, and thus the will that tends to that object considered absolutely is not so good as the intention. Yet because the intention also belongs in a way to the act of the will, inasmuch to it as it is the reason thereof, it comes to pass that the quantity of goodness in the intention redounds upon the act of the will. That is to say, insofar as the will wills some great good for an end, although that by which it wills to gain so great a good is not proportionate to that good. But if we consider the quantity in the intention and in the act according to their respective intensity, then the intensity of the intention redounds upon the interior act and the exterior act of the will, since the intention stands in relation to them as a kind of form, as is clear from what has been said above. Question 12, Article 4. Question 18, Article 6. And yet considered materially, while the intention is intense, the interior or exterior act may not be so intense, materially speaking. For instance, when a man does not will with as much intensity to take medicine as he wills to regain health. Nevertheless, the very fact of intending health intensely redounds as a formal principle upon the intense volition of medicine. We must observe, however, that the intensity of the interior or exterior act may be referred to the intention as its object as when a man intends to will intensely, or to do something intensely. And yet it does not follow that he wills or acts intensely, because the quantity of goodness in the interior or exterior act does not depend on the quantity of the good intended, as is shown above. And hence it is that a man does not merit as much as he intends to merit, because the quantity of merit is measured by the intensity of the act, as we shall show later on. Question 20, Article 4. Question 114, Article 4. Reply Objection 1. This clause speaks of good as in the estimation of God, who considers principally the intention of the end. Wherefore, another gloss says on the same passage that the treasure of the heart is the intention, according to which God judges our works. For the goodness of the intention, as stated above, redounds, so to speak, upon the goodness of the will, which makes even the external act to be meritorious in God's sight. Reply Objection 2 The goodness of the intention is not the whole cause of a good will. Hence, the argument does not prove. Reply Objection 3 The mere malice of the intention suffices to make the will evil, 
and therefore too, the will is as evil as the intention is evil. But the same reasoning does not apply to goodness, as stated above. Odd 2. Ninth article. Whether the goodness of the will depends on its conformity to the divine will. Objection 1. It would seem that the goodness of the human will does not depend on its conformity to the divine will. Because it is impossible for man's will to be conformed to the divine will. As appears from the word of Isaiah 55 verse 9. As the heavens are exalted above the earth, so are my ways exalted above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. If therefore goodness of the will depended on its conformity to the divine will, it would follow that it is impossible for man's will to be good, which is inadmissible. Objection 2. Further, just as our wills arise from the divine will, so does our knowledge flow from the divine knowledge. But our knowledge does not require to be conformed to God's knowledge, since God knows many things that we know not. Therefore, there is no need for our will to be conformed to the divine will. Objection 3. Further, the will is a principle of action, but our action cannot be conformed to God's. Therefore, neither can our will be conformed to His. On the contrary, it is written, Matthew 26, verse 39, Not as I will, but as thou wilt. Which words he said because he wishes man to be upright and to tend to God, as Augustine expounds in the Incriteron, Generations on the Psalms 32, Sermon 1. But the rectitude of the will is its goodness. Therefore, the goodness of the will depends on its conformity to the divine will. I answer that. As stated above, Article 7, the goodness of the will depends on the intention of the end. Now the last end of the human will is the sovereign good, namely God, as stated above. Question 1, Article 8. Question 3, Article 1. Therefore, the goodness of the human will requires it to be ordained to the sovereign good, that is, to God. Now this good is primarily and essentially compared to the divine will as its proper object. Again, that which is first in any genus is the measure and rule of all that belongs to that genus. Moreover, Everything attains to rectitude and goodness, insofar as it is in accord with its proper measure. Therefore, in order that man's will be good, it needs to be conformed to the divine will. Reply Objection 1 The human will cannot be conformed to the will of God so as to equal it, but only so as to imitate it. In like manner, human knowledge is conformed to the divine knowledge, insofar as it knows truth, and human action is conformed to the divine, insofar as it is becoming to the agent. And this by way of imitation, not by way of equality. From the above may be gathered the replies 
to the second and third objections. Tenth article. Whether it is necessary for the human will, in order to be good, to be conformed to the divine will, as regards the thing willed. Objection 1. It would seem that the human will need not always be conformed to the divine will, as regards the thing willed. For we cannot will what we know not, since the apprehended good is the object of the will. But in many things we know not what God wills. Therefore, the human will cannot be conformed to the divine will as to the thing willed. Objection 2. Further, God wills to damn the man whom he foresees about to die in mortal sin. If therefore man were bound to conform his will to the divine will, in the point of the thing willed, it would follow that a man is bound to will his own damnation, which is inadmissible. Objection 3. Further, no one is bound to will what is against filial piety. But if a man were to will what God wills, this would sometimes be contrary to filial piety. For instance, when God wills the death of a father, if his son were to will it also, it would be against filial piety. Therefore, man is not bound to conform his will to the divine will, as to the thing willed. On the contrary, 1. On Psalm 32, verse 1, Praise becometh the upright. A gloss says that man has an upright heart who wills what God wills. But everyone is bound to have an upright heart. Therefore, everyone is bound to will what God wills. 2. Moreover, the will takes its form from the object, as does every act. If therefore man is bound to conform his will to the divine will, it follows that he is bound to conform it as to the thing willed. 3. Moreover, opposition of wills arises from men willing different things. But whoever has a will in opposition to the divine will has an evil will. Therefore, Whoever does not conform his will to the divine will, as to the thing willed, has an evil will. I answer that. As is evident from what has been said above, Articles 3 and 5, the will tends to its object, according as it is proposed by the reason. Now a thing may be considered in various ways by the reason so as to appear good from one point of view, and not good from another point of view. And therefore, if a man's will wills a thing to be, according as it appears to be good, his will is good. And the will of another man, who wills that thing not to be, according as it appears evil, is also good. Thus, a judge has a good will, in willing a thief to be put to death, because this is just, while the will of another, e.g. the thief's wife or son, who wishes him not 
to be put to death, inasmuch as killing is a natural evil, is also good. Now since the will follows the apprehension of the reason or intellect, the more universal the aspect of the apprehended good, the more universal the good to which the will tends. This is evident in the example given above. Because the judge has care of the common good, which is justice, and therefore he wishes the thief's death, which has the aspect of good in relation to the common estate. Whereas the thief's wife has to consider the private good of the family, and from this point of view she wishes her husband, the thief, not to be put to death. Now the good of the whole universe is that which is apprehended by God, who is the maker and governor of all things. Hence, whatever he wills, he wills it under the aspect of the common good. This is his own goodness, which is the good of the whole universe. On the other hand, the apprehension of a creature according to its nature is of some particular good, proportionate to that nature. Now a thing may happen to be good under a particular aspect, and yet not good under a universal aspect, or vice versa, as stated above. And therefore, it comes to pass that a certain will is good from willing something considered under a particular aspect, which thing God wills not, under a universal aspect, and vice versa. And hence too it is, that various wills of various men can be good in respect of opposite things, for as much as, under various aspects, they wish a particular thing to be or not to be. But a man's will is not right in willing a particular good, unless he refer it to the common good as an end, since even the natural appetite of each part is ordained to the common good of the whole. Now it is the end that supplies the formal reason, as it were, of willing whatever is directed to the end. Consequently, in order that a man will some particular good with a right will, he must will that particular good materially, and the divine and universal good formally. Therefore, the human will is bound to be conformed to the divine will, as to that which is willed formally, for it is bound to will the divine and universal good, but not as to that which is willed materially, for the reason given above. At the same time, in both these respects, the human will is conformed to the divine in a certain degree. Because inasmuch as it is conformed to the divine will in the common aspect of the thing willed, it is conformed thereto in the point of the last end. While inasmuch as it is not conformed to the divine will in the thing willed materially, it is conformed to that will considered as efficient cause, since the proper inclination consequent to nature or to the particular apprehension of some particular thing comes to a thing from God as its efficient cause. Hence, it is customary to say that a man's will in this respect is conformed to the divine will, 
because it wills what God wishes him to will. There is yet another kind of conformity in respect of the formal cause, consisting in man's willing something from charity, as God wills it. And this conformity is also reduced to the formal conformity, that is, in respect of the last end, which is the proper object of charity. Reply Objection 1 We can know in a general way what God wills, for we know that whatever God wills, He wills it under the aspect of good. Consequently, whoever wills a thing under any aspect of good has a will conformed to the divine will, as to the reason of the thing willed. But we know not what God wills in particular, and in this respect we are not bound to conform our will to the divine will. But in the state of glory, everyone will see in each thing that he wills the relation of that thing to what God wills in that particular matter. Consequently, he will conform his will to God in all things, not only formally, but also materially. Reply Objection 2 God does not will the damnation of a man, considered precisely as damnation, nor a man's death, considered precisely as death, because he wills all men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 but he wills such things under the aspect of justice. Wherefore, in regard to such things, it suffices for man to will the upholding of God's justice and of the natural order. Wherefore, the reply to the third objection is evident. To the first argument advanced in a contrary sense, it should be said that a man who conforms his will to God's in the aspect of reason of the thing willed, wills what God wills, more than the man who conforms his will to God's in the point of the very thing willed, because the will tends more to the end than to that which is on account of the end. To the second, it must be replied that the species and form of an act are taken from the object considered formally rather than from the object considered materially. To the third, it must be said that there is no opposition of wills when several people desire different things, but not under the same aspect. But there is opposition of wills when under one and the same aspect one man wills a thing which another wills not. But there is no question of this here. End of question 19, part 2.